There he is. <laughs> All right, are we ready? Let's jump in and get. Uh... Oh, good. We're a little thin today, and so uh, some of us were talking about, you know, maybe the rapture happened, and, uh, and the only ones in here were us and them and Jesse, and we're like, well, that doesn't help, because, you know, not so sure that me and Jesse, and I said, I saw Mike, and that doesn't matter, so, but when we saw you, Ann, in the window, we said, okay, we're good, because the band's still here, the rapture has not, uh, has not occurred. Dave, how are you? How are you? Jimmy? Okay, good. Good, good. Well, Jimmy, welcome. Glad you're here. Yeah, glad you're here. Good. Well, how are we doing? Everybody's doing all right? We're, uh, we're here. and I've had a Mountain Dew and a coffee and a piece of gum, and I'm still half awake. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, what uh, what questions? Any questions before we get going? Anything that came up this week, or somebody has a question? Um, I taught uh, this week. I taught an online class on this uh, WebEx. Um, it was supposed to be an eight to five Monday through Friday class, um, live live class, um, but it turned into a uh, about a two and a half hour a day on online and it's just a, so thank you guys for hanging in there on this online format it's it's jumpy and uh, it's just about good enough where you think that you, it, you can maybe make it work but it doesn't so uh, so anyway uh, we did uh, class we call 107 we were changing the numbering system now so now it's 5107 whatever that means but it's uh, Hebrews, General Epistles, and Revelation. So we taught that class online. So that's what I was doing this week. Uh, Jesse said his week went fast. Yeah, mine did too. It flew by. It flew by. So. But uh, any questions? No questions. Everybody's doing good. No. I have a question. Go. Up on, uh, what we looked at last time, Genesis 19 and Judges 19. Okay. I'm just kind of wondering why is it the same story in both, uh, almost the same story? Okay, good. Oh, so uh, question: If you can hear that online, question was why the why the same story? Same same stories show up a lot. Yeah, uh -huh. was, same story uh, in uh, Genesis 19, Judges 19. Uh, why do the same stories uh, seem to show up in the Bible? Let me show you. Uh, so let me add to that. Um, look in Genesis chapter. Uh, chapter uh, 12, there was a famine in the land. This is in chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, so Abram went down to Egypt to live there, and the famine was severe in the land. And it came about that when he came near to Egypt, he and Sarai, his wife, this is before Abram's name is changed to Abraham and Sarai is changed to Sarah. Uh, so he says to his wife, see now that uh, I know that you are a beautiful woman. It will come about that when we, the Egyptians see you, 
uh, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but you they will let live. So please say that you're my sister, so that it may go well with me on account of you, that I may live on account of you. Uh, turn over to chapter 20 of Genesis. Hmm. Abram journeyed from there to the land of Negev uh, and settled between Kedesh and Shur. Uh, then he lived or sojourned in Gerar. And Abram said to his wife, she is, uh, said of his wife, she is my sister. And so second time where Abram presents uh, uh, now Sarah as uh, his, uh, his sister. Isaac is going to do uh, the same thing uh, later in the story. And uh, this is in chapter, uh, chapter 20, uh, uh, 24. And, uh, and so Isaac's going to do the same thing. Say, what's going on here? Why the repeated stories? Well, um, this is how storytellers um, let the reader evaluate the characters and how they're doing. Okay? Um, this is just part of the story. Uh, I was actually listening um, to uh, one of our other professors, and and uh, you know, the, the Abram, um, Abram, the Abram of chapter twelve is not the Abraham of chapter twenty-two. Things have changed. Um, he believes uh, God. He uh, in chapter twelve of Hebrew, this, uh, the writer of Hebrew tells us that Abraham believed God, left his land, left by faith, and went to a land not his own. Uh, 15.6, Genesis 15.6, says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned in his righteousness. Abram believed God is reckoned in his righteousness. This is when his, uh, these are the chapters where his name is changed. Uh, and then in chapter 22, by faith he sacrifices his son Isaac. And so his faith is being perfected. Does that make sense? So the Abram that leaves uh, isn't near as his faith has not been perfected. That's, that's how James tells, talks of Abram in James chapter 2. How do you know that? How, how, do you, how do we check in with Abram to see how he's doing? Well, this is one of the ways. Uh, in chapter 12, he's selling off his wife as his sister. Chapter 20, he's still doing the same thing. Uh, hmm, this is a problem. And then Isaac is doing the same thing. And so instead of saying, um, uh, and Isaac is just like his father, <laughs> the, the, story, the storyteller says, let me tell you a story about Isaac. And you go, I've heard this before. And you go, exactly. See, he's just like his dad. See, that's that's the conclusion that comes. I think my story is much easier. Well, it's not the same story. It's the same events. So now we're talking about Genesis 19 and Judges 19. So a guy goes to a city. The people of the city surround the city, call him out. Okay. Um, so let's let's go back to that. Let me let me explain even more in more detail what's going on 
the contrast between what's going on between Genesis 19 uh, and Judges 19. Okay? Now, remember, we're in Judges. That's the coffee pot. Oh, we're making coffee. We might need some. The coffee pot's gurgling over here, and it's distracting some of us. I can't multitask, so it doesn't bother me a bit. I just, see, I can watch television and not hear anything else that's going on. Yes. Right. Correct. Tells you a lot about where he is in the story when he says that I may live on account of you. In other words, if you will just say this, they'll let me live. He's not, uh, he's not uh, depending upon the Lord. So like in chapter 15, the Lord says, I am your shield, right? I'm your defender. I'm the one that's going to preserve your life. Or... Correct. Yes. Now remember, yeah. So, so uh, for those of you who didn't hear online, what we're talking about here is um, is later in chapter twelve, um, the Lord tells, um, uh, and, and, and then Abimelech, uh, the Lord tells. Uh, restores the fortunes of the the foreign king because Abram prays to have him restored. Okay, and so remember uh, that that the readers, the original readers of this uh, story, is Israel. Okay, and so Israel, the nation of Israel. Okay, now we're not to the nation of Israel yet. We just have the promises to one guy whose name is Abram, and Abram is going to bless the nations, okay? So uh, I don't know if y'all can see this here on the board. Um, what I've drawn here is, uh, is the God and God in the top circle, and then below him, Israel and the nations. And uh, Israel's role is to bless the nations. Uh, and so what, through the readers, Israel, the nation of Israel, reading the stories of their patriarchs, uh, they are getting it's to 11 o'clock with the patriarchs as the patriarchs learn to operate according to their role as uh, mediators to the nation. Uh, now, you are you and I, uh, we're, we're not mediators uh, to the nations. Now, you will see uh, same thing happens in Job. Job's friends. Remember at the end of the story of Job, uh, uh, the Lord confronts uh, Job's friends and then tells Job's friends to have Job pray for them because when Job prays for them, then they will be restored.
Life and so, so what we're tracking, the, the story is not tracking simply how you live day to day. That's, that's not it. Okay? Um, everyone is living their life day to day. And in many cases in the Bible, maybe even most, uh, the unrighteous outlive the righteous. Length of days. Okay? But when the Bible's talking about length of days, he's not talking about living to be 94 or 95 or 90, you know. It's talking about resurrection of the dead, and so length of days is eternal life. So, the, so the question is, how do you get eternal life? And so, the promised one is coming through Abram for eternal life. Now, um, but I don't want to leave this. Uh, have the righteous man pray for you, and you'll be restored, uh, because in James chapter five, James goes back to the story of Job. And, uh, and what's going on in James is, uh, is really the same thing that happens in the book of Job. These people, there are people in these, the, the Jewish diaspora, the 12 tribes dispersed, who are believing that if you do good, God blesses you, and if you don't do good, then it's not going to go well for you. Job's friend's theology, right? Um, and, uh, and so what they're doing then is they're judging, they're evaluating. If someone comes into their midst who's a rich man, they give them a place of position, a poor man sit over here, they're making distinctions among themselves and becoming judges with evil motives. And so, um, so the command then is uh, for them to confess their sins to one another. In other words, I was judging you wrongly, right? Um, and take that confession to the elders of the church uh, because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, and so it's the exact same point that is being made. So, so you'll see this all the way, all the way through the Bible. Um, but back to this uh, Genesis 19, Judges 19. Okay? There's a whole lot more going on here. What we tend to do is we tend to principalize the text, right? We find one principle to apply it to our lives, and then we go on that the Bible is way more um, detailed than that. Every part of the fabric of these stories is woven together with every other part. Okay, so there's not just this one, you know, this little story um, in this bigger narrative is not there to teach this one principle and then we go tell another story. That's not what's going on, okay? So, in, Judge, in Genesis 19, uh, Abram is operating as mediator to the nations. He's been appointed to be mediator to the nations. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And so the question of the story is going to become, how do the people in the story, the nations in the story, relate to Abram and the promise that Abram has received from the Lord? Right? So... Uh, What's interesting is like when you get to chapter 20, Abimelech, uh, the king, Abimelech, he fears the Lord, and Abram, Abraham, by this point, fears the king. See, Abraham's fear is the wrong way. He's fearing uh, the king, 
the king is fearing the Lord, therefore the king fears Abram and makes of Abraham and makes a covenant with Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who, in other words, he's aligning himself with the, the promise to Abraham and enters in the covenant with Abraham. Now, pay attention because Israel, reader, because this is how you are to operate. Okay? So, um, but back to chapter 19. So the, the, the contrast, uh, the most wicked of the wicked is Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And the Lord's going to wipe them out. And you remember uh, that, um, that, uh, that Abraham negotiates on behalf of the righteous. You won't destroy the white righteous with the wicked, will you? No, I won't. What if there's 100 righteous or 50 righteous? And he negotiates this down to, to 10 righteous. And then the two messengers, the two angels, go to Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, they go to, they, they find Lot, and they deliver Lot, okay? And in that story, each of the, oh, yeah, they got to drag him out of there. They literally drag him out of there, okay? Um, and his sons-in-law, uh, he has two daughters, the two sons-in-law, they don't believe the story that's being told. Um, they don't believe Lot's testimony. Uh, Peter's going to make the point in 2 Peter, when he looks back at this Lot story, he says, when believers go the way of false teachers, this is 2 Peter, when Lot went the way of Sodom and Gomorrah, the truth was, was maligned. And people didn't believe Lot's testimony. Right? So when you go the way of the false teacher, the truth is maligned. That's the, the point of application. One of the points of application that Peter makes. And the second point is God knows how to deliver the righteous and keep the wicked under judgment until the day of judgment. Just as he did Lot, even if you go the way of the false teacher. Um, so there's several points that are for the reason why Peter is, uh, is making this in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, uh, but when we... Uh, so we're going along, and God wipes out Sodom and Gomorrah, delivers Lot. Okay, so you kind of store that one away in the in your story. Pay attention to it because it's going to come back throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Well, so so now we get to Judges, nineteen. We're pretty far into Judges. The the, the Judges are getting worse by every Judge that comes onto the scene is worse than the last. Now, is this chronological? Not necessarily. Okay, the storyteller is telling you, this is getting worse. The judges are failing, they're judging everywhere. And the way he structures it, which may or might, may not be chronological, it doesn't matter. The point is that, that he's got these judges getting worse and the last judge is, uh, is Samson in the story of uh, the book of Judges. And then the priests come on to the scene and the priests are worse than the judges. In fact, a direct descendant of Moses is leading this mess. That tells you how far it's gone and how quickly it's gone that far, right? Um, uh, this priest is the son of uh, Gershon, the son of Moses. He's horrible. Okay. And so then he says, well, let me tell you. So the narrator says, well, there was a certain man, a certain priest, who had a concubine. Huh? Yeah, concubine. Well, that's not good. No, it's not good. And she left him. Yeah, he was very understanding. He's very tolerant. 
didn't judge. Judge not, lest you be judged. That was his life verse until he wants everybody to judge him. Uh, and so she, she leaves him. She goes back to her parents' house. He goes and tries to convince her to come back to him, finally does. So now they're traveling. Got, uh, you know, the little entourage there, they're traveling. And, and so, you know, they're traveling at, uh, at, in the evening. Tells you how they got to the evening. Uh, you know, father convinced them, and finally they, they leave, and, and they're traveling in the evening, and they're coming to a city, city of Jebus. Right? Now, if you're a uh, Israelite reader, you know the city of Jebus. Jebus is where the Jebusites live, right? Um, you know that Moses and the law commanded Israel to utterly destroy the Amorites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, all the others you call them. Uh, Jebus, we know it, not the city of Jebus, but the city of Jerusalem. Okay? David is going to conquer the city of Jerusalem, but that's, that's still to come in the story. We're not there yet. Okay? So the priest goes past Jebus, because uh, you don't want to go where the Jebusites are, because they're a bunch of Satan-worshipping evil people, right? And, um, and so to the city of, of Jebus, and um, um, passes the city of Jebus, and then says, oh, let's, we, we need to stay in an Israelite city, right, because they're better. Okay? I mean, they're not much of even Satan-worshippers. Gibeah, perfect. Let's go to Gibeah, right? Well, they go into Gibeah, and guess what happened? This foreigner coming in from the fields says, you guys can't stay here at night. You don't want to stay in the city square. These people are wicked. No, come on now. Yep, I'm telling you. And as you're reading the story, it, it turns into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, remember where we are in this whole section. The section of the book of Judges has moved from the judges, demonstrating how worthless they are, and now we're evaluating the priests. Okay? So the focus of this section of Scripture is an evaluation of the priests, not just an evaluation of Gibeah being as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Now, go back to the Lot story. The travelers in the Lot story were the two angels. The recipient, the receiver of the travelers was Lot, right? so he's the one in the house, and the men of the city were the Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodomites. And each in that story played the role. Sodomites were evil. Lot was, you know, kind of in the house doing whatever he was doing. But the angels are the one who deliver Lot and judge the Sodomites. Okay. Now, who's supposed to be playing the role of the angels? Who are the travelers in the book of Judges? The priest. Uh, who's playing? So, so uh, the the priest is is playing the role of the angels, those who are supposed to judge the people in righteous judgment. This goes back to Deuteronomy chapter sixteen, verses eighteen and following. When you appoint judges and priests in the land, they are to judge with righteous judgment. They're not to take a bribe. All this stuff. Right? So, this was the priest's job to judge the people in righteous judgment, just as the angels judged in righteous judgment. Um, and so um, there's all of this language, and it really is simple to see in the Hebrew because the words just are, 
it's the same words used throughout. In the English translations, they aren't the same words because there's a different translator team that translates Genesis than translates Judges, and they may or may not translate the same words in the same way. Okay, but um, but in the um, in the Lot story in Genesis 19, um, the men surround the city, uh, and Lot is uh, going to send these girls out, right? Um, but uh, the angel uh, opens the door, sends forth his hand and strikes the men with blindness. And so they are, you know, judged with blindness until the morning when they leave and wipe out the city, right? Um, in the story in Judges 19, it is the priest who opens the door. Uh, he does not send forth his hand to strike the men of Gideon. He sends forth the concubine and this guy's daughter, I guess it's concubine, and she's ravaged and raped. And so at the end of the Genesis story, it is the men of the city who are at the doorstep searching for the doorstep in blindness. At the end of the judge's story, it's the concubine who's trying to find uh, the doorstep uh, in the morning. Uh, he wakes up, he sees her, he hacks her into pieces and sends her out into the nation. Okay, so who's guilty? Well, certainly Sodom and Gomorrah was guilty in the Genesis 19 story. And certainly the Gibeites are guilty in this story. Um, but the priest is guilty for a myriad of reasons. Um, not only what he was doing before he got there, how he got there, how he... Uh, operated how he judged in the midst of this uh, story then he cuts up this girl and sends her into the 12 of tribes of israel <clears throat> and then in uh, chapter uh, uh chapter 20 uh they all come back and if you know the law and if you're an israelite reading the law the judge is not operating as uh, or the priest is not operating operating as the judge the way this is supposed to work is this turns into a lawsuit, right? This is a case with a prosecution and a defense, and, and, and uh, you know, and, and a judgment is rendered. The way this is supposed to work is that the witnesses are to come before the judge or priest who is in office in those days, and they are supposed to uh, present the testimony, and then he is supposed to render judgment. Okay, one man, the priest, the righteous one, is supposed to present uh, the uh, the judgment. Israel assembles as one man. They're not the ones who give the witness. They're the ones who are going to operate as the judge in this story. So now you have the men of Israel, the people of Israel, of the other tribes outside of the city. They gather as one man. They're going to hear the evidence. The priest is going to play the role of witness. He's not supposed to be the witness. He's supposed to be the judge. He gives false witness. Doesn't match what actually happened. Um, they render for judgment, they pronounce judgment on the Gibeites. They say, we're not gonna intermarry with the Gibeites, we're gonna cut the Gibeites out. And so now everybody in this story is guilty. Nobody in this story is operating according to the word of the Lord. The judge, uh, you know, the priest should be judged. 
the Gibeites should be judged, Israel should be judged, and at the end of the story, they are all judged. So now, it's not Israel wiping out the Jebusites, Israel wiping out the Canaanites, the, the, the Satan worshipers of the land. It is Israel fighting against Gibeah, one of their own tribes, one of their own people. Well, who wins the battle? Neither. They go to battle, one side loses, they go to battle, the same side loses, they go to battle, the other side loses. And so at the end of the story, the city of Gibeah is going up in smoke, and the Lord's judged them all. What's the point? Because there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Right? You tracking the story? Is this making sense? And so this is how storytelling tell the story. So it's not just that Sodom and Gomorrah happens twice. Actually, uh, the battle of Ai happens twice. Remember, Israel goes to battle against Ai, they lose. They go to battle, they lose. And then they go to battle and they win. They, and the way they win is they act like they're losing. They draw them out. The, the people go around, destroy the city, and then they catch a crossroads. Right? Exact same thing happens in Gibeah. Same story. Well, man, we're here. I've heard this before. Uh, the first story was destroying, uh, first time it was destroying Ai. And that story, the reason they lost in battle was because of the sin of one man. Remember the, you know, he had he kept the, uh, he had the stuff uh, the, under the ban. Um, now it's Israel acting as one man. You know, and so, so they're, and so you're going, man, oh man, this is just piling up. In other words, you have to know every story to move on to the next story. If you don't, or if you just don't pay attention, right, just principalize, well, you know, principle is, I don't know, don't act like Sodom and Gomorrah or whatever. Now, um, you'll see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, um, whenever Israel is, uh, is condemned or their wickedness is, uh, is proclaimed by the Lord, uh, this is in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1. Um, uh, he is uh, going to uh, proclaim, the Lord through Isaiah is proclaiming the wickedness of Israel. He says, your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Uh, do you remember um, Sodom and Gomorrah ended up with cities burned uh, with fire? Um, your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. I'm in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 7. It is a desolation overthrown by strangers. And daughters of Zion, uh, and the daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in the vineyard, like a watchman's hut in the cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left a few survivors, it would be like Sodom. It would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. See? So the problem in this story is Israel has become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And what Sodom and Gomorrah deserved and what they got is not what Israel's getting. He's sparing them because he's going to say, right? So, so the story builds, and everywhere along the story, as the story progresses, you have to know the previous stories to make sense of it. It's just like watching a movie, right? If you start a movie in the beginning and watch it, it might make sense to you. If you uh, watch, if you start a movie in the middle and watch one scene, uh, it won't make any sense to you. Okay? 
I, I tell my students this this all the time. Um, uh, it's uh, what is it? It's the what's the uh, it's the, the the one the scene with the spider the kid the the dwarf what's his name the the door the Hobbit this what the, the what what's that whole Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings okay. I, I haven't seen Lord of the Rings. I don't know Lord of the Rings. It seems like whenever I'm flipping channels uh, and one of those movies is on, it's the scene where the kid, what's his name, uh, the, the main guy? Frodo. Frodo gets caught in that spider's cave, right? Well, I can make up all kinds of stuff and I can principalize it and all that. I have no idea how that fits into anything in the story, okay? You know, but, uh, you know, I can make principles like, uh, you know, um, if you hang out in wicked places, you will get caught in their web of evil. Oh, that sounds good. That's a nice little print. That, that'll preach, man. I can come up with some illustrations, you know, preach that little scene. I have no idea what it's actually doing, and I don't know how it fits in with the whole story. But I can take this scene if I be, like, but once I know, I'm assuming, that if I watched whatever this first, and there's several of these movies, so I don't even know which one. If I watched them in order and I watched the scenes in order, that scene would make sense to me, but I don't because I never sit down. I tried to, but anyway, all of that to say, uh, if you do that with the Bible, don't be shocked when it doesn't make any sense. Or you just principalize it because that's what we've been taught to do. And so your understanding is very flat, very simple, very, I don't know. You just turned the Bible into something that it's not. Oh, this story is here to tell you to not be like Sodom. Well, it's true, but there's a whole lot more than that. Okay. Um, is this making sense? Okay. So the way that uh, Bible narrators tell stories is they, uh, you know, people commit sins through their whole life. Okay. So they don't write every sin of um, Saul. Um, but uh, one of the sins of Saul is he makes a stupid vow uh, that gets his son killed. There's a judge who did the same thing. Right? And so the storyteller says, oh, I need to tell you this. Right? So first he tells you this, this judge who makes this vow and gets his child killed. And you go, man, that's stupid. See, because when you make a vow to the Lord, you make sure to keep it you part of you. How would we tell of Saul's failure? I know. Right. Let's attach it to these previous. Right. So we're not going to tell about every failure of Saul, but we're going to pick the failures of Saul that match the failures of previous characters who've also failed in the story as well. Yes. Correct. Yeah, so those of you online, what uh, the, the point that the chick was making was that the stories illustrate, they use the law to illustrate the successes or failures of the leaders. Because so goes the leader, so goes the nation. When Jesus comes on the scene and he tells his parables, his parables are the same thing. His stories are 
Old Testament illustrations of Old Testament reality found in the law. Okay, he's not just telling a story that validates his own actions. He's telling a story that illustrates the truth that is in the Old Testament, the truth that is in the law, that validates not only why they did it in the Old Testament, but why he's doing it now. Does that make sense? Um, so this, this judges is pointing out the failure of the judges, the failure of the priests, right? So we're going to say, man, so at the end of the story, what the, the, the section of the story, the judge, uh, the writer says, uh, wants to communicate to the reader, there ain't any hope of fixing this mess in the judges or in the priests. We need a king. And Israel says, oh, that's a great idea. Let's get a king just like the nations. And they can fight our battles for us. So we want a king who will fight our battles for us. Now, at this point, you ought to know enough of the story to go, um, the king doesn't fight. The Lord fights for Israel. They're not fighting for them. They're not doing anything. Right? How do you know that? Uh, uh, well, do you remember back in the, in, in the book of Judges? Turn back with me into the book of Judges. And do you remember uh, this story? Uh, the call of Gideon. Okay. Uh, that Gideon uh, is, uh, you know, Gideon's there and, you know, you're introduced to Gideon and he's whining about, uh, you know, the angel of the Lord, this angel that's been present the whole way through leading Israel, shows up to Gideon. Gideon says, basically, let me paraphrase, hey man, what's going on here? You know, what about all these stories that we heard of the Lord fighting valiantly for the, you know, for Israel and all this stuff, delivering us from Egypt and all that? Where's that been? And so, uh, and so the Lord tells him, well, you're going to be the one who's going to deliver Israel from the lands of the, the land of the Midianites. Okay? You're going to um, fight against the Midianites. You're going to destroy their gods. You're going to contend with their god, Baal. Uh, contend. Uh, Jaru, or, or Yaru, is to contend with Baal. So let's not call you Gideon. Let's call you Jerubal, contends with Baal. So you're going to contend with the Midianites, contend with their gods, and you're going to win the victory. He says, well, how do I know? You know, and so he puts the Lord to the test, and, you know, you remember this part of the story. And then he says, all right, so we're going to go to battle. Great. Uh, we're going to go, we're going to get a giant group of, uh, of people, and we're going to go into battle. The Lord says, uh, no, you got too many. I'm in chapter 7, verse 4. Bring them down to the water, right? So uh, he starts with 22,000 there in verse 3, and then 10,000 remain, verse 3, and then he says, you got too many. Bring them down, I'll put them to the test, okay? Uh, and uh, say, this, these are ones that will go to you. And he tells them how he's going to do this. If they, you know, lap the water with his tongue. You know, uh, so the number of those who lapped, verse 6, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But the rest of the people kneeled to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, okay, I'm going to deliver you with 300 men. He says, really, 300 men? He says, oh, no, no, no. What? And, and, and you're not taking any weapons. No swords, no shields, 
uh, you're going to take a trumpet, you're going to take some clay pots and some torches. And when the battle uh, begins, you're going to blow the trumpet, you're going to smash the pots, and you're going to wait and see what happens. And the Lord's going to turn these Midianites against the Midianites, and they're going to wipe each other out, and the Lord's going to deliver, right? See, this is how the Lord's been delivering the whole time. It's not because Israel was more valiant in battle. They walked around the city, the walls fell down, and it rained, you know, rocks from heaven and wiped out. Them. They're not doing anything. But now they want a king to fight their battles for them. Okay? Listen to that language. We want a king to fight our battles for us. Okay? This is in, now we're into Samuel. Just, just think down the story of the stories you know. Okay? Do you know of a battle that comes upon Israel in the story of Samuel? Who are the enemies in Samuel? Samuel, do you remember this? The Philistines, the Philistines. Do you remember a battle uh, that has something to do with the Philistines? David and Goliath. And Goliath comes out, and tell me about Goliath, just from what you know. He's the champion of the Philistines. And he says what? Mocks God. Now, do all the Philistines go and battle all the, no, no, no. He says, no, 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 here's what we're going to do. Okay, ready? Choose what? One man from among yourself. Now, why is Saul the king? Because they have chosen one man, the king, to fight their battles for. This is in chapter 17. Now, in chapter, what happens in chapter 16? You may not remember this. But right before, the Lord has judged Saul and says, I'm taking the kingdom from him. And so now you come to the next scene. And the champion says, choose one man. Saul says, I ain't going out there. <laughs> Why not? Because I see where this is going. He's going to kill me. The Lord's going to kill me. Right? Um, not only has the Lord rejected Saul, but who has the Lord anointed? David. And so do they choose one king or one man? Yeah, they choose David. They send him out there. Right? Now, does David take any weapon? Eh, he just takes a little slingshot. Uh, so the Lord fights on behalf of David and delivers uh, Israel from the hands of the Philistines because of the faithfulness of the king, from the king, King David. Does this make sense? Right? All of these stories build. You, you can't just read a chapter and, and, and say, okay, I'm done for the night. I think the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my whole life, uh, if I think about everything that Christianity does or Christians do, the, one of the dumbest, maybe not the dumbest, but certainly it's on the list, is this reading plans. Is read the Bible through a year deal. You know, read, you know, chapter 7 of Samuel, read chapter 4 of Proverbs, and read chapter 20 of Luke. Okay, and tomorrow you're going to read chapter 6 of, you know, Genesis, chapter... Who reads like this? So I tell my students, I say, okay, uh, we're going to read this book together. Okay, and, and so I usually have Green Eggs and Ham or How the Grinch Stole Christmas, my favorite two books to teach from. 
uh, and I say, okay, uh, 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 so we're going to read this. Uh, today we're going to read ver page 7 and page 13. And then uh, tomorrow when we meet, see, we're going to read page 2 and page 9. And then the next day we're going to read page 14 and page, page 5. And then the next day, and we're gonna, you couldn't make sense of green eggs and ham doing it like that. What on earth makes you think that you could read the Bible and make any sense of it? You're going, yeah, well, that makes sense. And so, so this is probably what you've done. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I want to read the Bible. New Year's resolution. I'm going to read the Bible, right? And you start in Genesis. No, not bad. Most of us, if you've, you probably have made it through Genesis. A couple of dry spots in there, but you know, made it through Genesis. And then you get to Exodus, right? It's not bad, you know, delivering Moses. You remember the movie? Oh, Charlton Heston led him through the... Uh, Charlton Heston playing the role of Moses and, well, until you get to the, where they start building the temple and you're going, holy smokes, this is horrible. Why do I care about purple curtains and gold rings? You know? And then you're going, and then you start flipping over the Leviticus. You go, it ain't getting any better. Right? And you, ain't, uh, look, I'm going back to John. Right? So you just ditch the whole Old Testament and you go back to John. Well, um, those dry books, the dry chapter, the Leviticus, the numbers, uh, where it's the law section, Deuteronomy, I'm telling you, that's the goal. That is the key, that, that section. Those are the sections that will allow you to interpret the story. Because the narrator isn't going to explain the law to you. He's going to assume that the reader has read the law, right? And so when he says something like, you know, the sons of Eli were eating the, fact, the sacrifice of the temple, the fat sacrifice, you're supposed to go, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Instead of going, yeah, I kind of like the fat. You know, marvelous, good. Medium rare. I like medium rare. No, 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 no. You're supposed to know exactly what they're doing, and it's a violation of the law, and you're supposed to be appalled that the, 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 the high priest's sons are doing this. They're, they're worthless. Sons of Belial. Translated worthless men. And these sons of Belial are going to show up. And so, so this is when you're introduced to the sons of Belial language is right here. Now, it's going to show up later, and you're going to go, Hey, they, what, so later in the story, you said, these are sons of Belial. You're going, you mean like Eli's sons? Who liked their prime rib medium rare? I kind of like those guys. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay. So the stuff that you're ditching and you're not reading are the very things that will help you understand them. Not only the Old Testament, but the Gospels, the Epistles, New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. I heard this story before. Where have I heard? This is what happens to Jesus over here in, you know, John chapter 10. What are you talking about? Oh, right. Um, this, this helps us make sense. So the story, you're going to read these stories over and over and over and over and over. You're going to hear them over because what's the point? Why is the narrator telling? Because 
ain't changed. They're the same. They're the same people doing the same things. There may be different names. I remember years ago I had this, uh, I saw we were, we were in Austin, uh, some lake, and we were in the little, uh, in the, the, uh, um, in the, the little convenience store. We were, I think we were filling up the boat with gas or something. We went in the convenience store to get a drink, and there was this koozie. You bought it for me. Is that okay? Is that where we got? It? Yeah. Okay. And um, and the koozie said. Uh, different. I don't know how you say it. Uh, said. Uh, same circus, different. Same circus, different clowns. <laughs> and at the time, uh, okay, so nobody repeats this. At the time, I had gone from DTS to Southwestern, and it just perfect, right? Same circus, different clowns. Okay. Well, in Israel, it's the same circus, different clowns. You know, this king's oh, now this king's doing it. Now this lead, they're all doing the same stuff. Does that make sense? Okay. And this is how the storyteller tells you this, pointing out that this king is making the same mistake that they made in the past. Oh gosh. Would they ever just learn from their mistakes? Well, do you? <laughs> Because we've never made the same, uh, done the same sin twice in our lives. I'm just so smart. I do it once, and then I learn, and I move on to never return to it. <laughs> sure, that's how it works. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or, or uh, same clowns, different circus. You know, cause that, that could be a koozie too, right? Because. You, you track the clown, and they, and they go from circus to circus. <laughs> Their whole life is a circus. But we digress. Okay, is this making sense? Okay. How about, uh, you were saying about how we read Genesis, Exodus, and then we get into all this stuff, and we kind of like uh, go back to John. How do, we, how do we make it through, you know? Listen to it um, online. Listen to it uh, audio. Uh, it, it, I'm telling you, it's, it's so much better. Um, because uh, even the way they build the, the temple or the, the instruction, take yourself out of it, you know, what, listen to it like you're listening to a story, not like you're, in every verse, you're trying to find life application. Okay? Uh, when we come to the Bible, we, we don't do what we do when we listen to any other story. Okay? Um, you know, if you wrote out the proto and you know, whatever, and he walked up the rock trail and went into the cave, application, uh, caves are dark, and men love the, the darkness because their deeds are evil. And that, that. So, that, you, know, like, you know, and it turns into application, and, and you know, and then the next, and, uh, you know, and he uh, saw a web. You know, there's always indication before you actually see the spider that, that you're about to get in, get caught in the web, right? And you just, see, he just wasn't paying attention to the end. You know, it, just, it just goes on. We, you don't do that when you watch that, but that's what you do when you read the Bible. You make stuff up, right? Just remove yourself for a minute and listen. What are they doing? And you're going to see that they do it all the way through. And then if you want to say, hey, I do the same thing, that's.
That's huge too. Yeah, yeah. Paul didn't sit down and say, okay, uh, one, uh, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Two, to the saints who are in greetings. Three, um, I pray for you and I think you're great. Four, I'm an apostle to bring faith to the jet. Five, that's not what he's doing. Uh, those verse uh, references weren't there for a thousand years. So, um, what are the chance? You see, if you just read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and, and it was written out in in you know whatever, uh, just a continuous sentence, sentence, sentence. What are the chances that this part has something to do with this part? I don't know. I'm probably thinking. Why wouldn't it have something to do with it? What are the chances uh, that what Paul, Peter, James, John, Luke, Matthew, Mark, uh, what they're saying in chapter one, arbitrary designation, has something to do with chapter two? Yeah, or. Bible Gateway, if you enter into your Google search, um, audio Bible online, it'll come up with Bible Gateway. Click on that, pick the book. You can pick whatever, um, you know, New American Standard, NIV. You can have James Earl Jones read the Bible. Darth Vader, you know, yeah, Max, Max McLean, yeah, or, uh, or whoever. Um, James Earl Jones, right? He's gotta have the voice of God, right? I am your father. I mean, that's perfect. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. That's bad. Bad fathers. Is this making sense? Everybody tracking? Okay. Um, uh, there are places all over where I will ask students, I'll read the passage to them, just read it to them, and then ask them questions, and they can't answer the question. And the answer to the question is in, what does this verse mean? Uh, well, it's, what are the chances it has something to do with the sentence right before this sentence, right? Um, and it, I mean, it is just all the time. And they go, oh, I have no idea what that means. If, if I could read them anything else, they could answer every question just fine. And then they come to the Bible and their brains fall out of their head and they quit reading in context and they have no idea what it's, because they've heard this, it means all this different. Okay, so um, I tell, uh, our students, I tell and remind Charlie Bayless, who's other professor all the time, I said, look, you know, it's really funny what we do as seminary Bible professors. Really, all we're teaching is remedial reading. Right? We're sounding out the big words and assuming that this sentence has something to do with the last sentence and is going to introduce something to the next sentence. Uh, but we don't read the Bible that way, so this makes my job really easy. Really easy. See, I just go see see this sentence and see this one. See how this one relates to this one, and then it introduces this one. Illustration. Everybody know John three sixteen. Anybody know John three fifteen? 
what are the chances that John 3.15 has something to do with John 3.16? I had one student say, well, I know 3.17, so they tell me, okay. I said, what's 18? All right, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so does anybody know this Frodo story? The, the, okay, what happens after the cave incident with the spider? He's put. And then what happens? Tell me that story. Keep going. See, you can just keep going through all six movies. You are so smart. You are a Bible scholar. You no, know, I'm just got the story, right? Right. And so when when you reduce it down to an epistle. Right or a, a story, you say, "Well, he says this, he says that, and then he says this." You know, um, you know. So, so Jesus is eating with tax gatherers and sinners, and they say, "Why are you doing that?" So he tells them these three parables back to back, and they say, and he turns to the disciples and says, "Let me tell you another parable about a certain steward was having who was evil and had his stewardship removed from." Him. And the Pharisees are going, "Right, yeah." The, the Pharisees who were lovers of money were scoffing and said, so I got another story for you. Let me tell you about a man named Lazarus. So he tells the story about a rich man, Lazarus, and how you know, the rich man doesn't get in because he thinks he deserves to get in, but Lazarus gets in, and they don't think Lazarus should be in. It just, it just, the story just continues right along. So, so No matter how hard you are, I'll be back So I just want to tell you, it's not as simple. It is as simple as I'm saying it is. That what's making it hard is that you've been taught your whole life not to read it this way. Uh, so, okay, so, so, I go to, uh, so I tell my students, okay, um, we go through Bible study methods, we do all this exercise, and all this stuff, and, and then we have them chart, make charts to, you know, to, I said, okay, how, how many of you have read a book other than the Bible? Everybody raise their hand and say, okay, what book have you read? Okay? And they start to, you know, did you ever make a chart of it? Did you ever chart green eggs and ham? No. How do you understand it if you didn't chart it? Why would I chart it? Charting a book doesn't cause me to understand it. The chart is the reflection of what I do understand. It doesn't help me understand. Why would I chart it? I can just read it, right? And so, so much of what we do with the Bible, we do it because we've been taught to do it, and then it makes no sense. Now, here's where the proof is in the pudding. If you want to understand what Paul's saying, what Peter's saying, what James is saying, what John's saying, what any of them are saying, when they refer back to the story, they're reading it like a story. And you go back to that context, you go, oh, that is what it's saying. I have accused Paul of misusing the Old Testament probably a hundred times. And then when I go back and I read what the Old Testament actually says, I've been wrong about a hundred times. 
Do you remember when Jesus talks with the Pharisees? What does he always say to them? They're wrong. And so he says to them, have you not read? Have you not read? Go back and read it. You don't have to have some fancy interpretation. Go back and read it. Sound out the big words. Follow the bouncing ball. This is simple. What's hard about it is we've been taught not to do that. So what I'm telling you is read the Bible like you read everything else. Read it first. Understand it. What is, what, what, why is this story here? And what is the reader supposed to get from this story? And then, then how does it, the whole story relate to my life? Does that make sense? Right? Not easy because you've been trained to not do it in the church. And the church has been at this now for hundreds of years, teaching the church not to read the Bible in the way that would help make sense of the Bible. So we got to stop doing this and just go back to read it plainly. And then it all makes perfect sense. Good. All right. So um, can you begin reading in the book of Judges? Now, I'm going to give me one more minute. This is why I always am asking, hey, can we study Revelation? I'm going, um, well, no. Because you don't start a story at the end of the story. So let, if we want to start Revelation, let, let's start a study in Revelation. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness on the face of the deep. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good. And, and see, so we start at the beginning of the story. And, uh, and, and so we have to learn the first 65 parts of the story so that the 66th makes sense. Otherwise, I'm going to tell you this is what it says or what it means, and you're going to go, uh-uh, I don't believe that. I believe this. Why do you believe that? I don't know, because that's what I was told. I believe that that spider represents um, satanic activity, and if I can make up anything if I hadn't seen the movie. <laughs> okay, well, see, I'm inspired. <laughs> so, so the only fast way to understand the Bible is read it slowly from the start. You can't skip ahead and expect to have all the answers. Make sense? No, you can't start reading the Bible in Judges because Judges is set up by everything that comes before Judges. And then after Judges, Samuel. Can you understand Samuel without Judges? No. Can you understand Kings without Samuel? No. Can you understand Samuel without Judges? No. Can you understand Judges without Joshua? No. Can you understand Joshua without Deuteronomy? No. Can you understand Deuteronomy without? No. See, it all builds on itself. It's a continued unified story. Sometimes, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, so, 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 um, so chronological Bibles are helpful in that they put the story in chronological order, but they, they don't do it book by book, they do it event by event, and that takes it out of the author's story. So I'm not for chronological Bibles. Um, also, there are things that happen in, so storytellers will tell you things, and you're going, okay. How many times have you watched a movie, 
in the first scene makes no sense. And the second scene makes no sense. And in the third scene, you're going, okay, maybe. And then by the fourth or fifth scene, you're going, okay, I'm beginning to see why that first scene was there. I get it. Right. Bible's the same. It's a story. Start at the beginning and, and it, it closed to it. Let me put, close the word for it. We're done. Lord, thanks for our time today. And uh, Lord, help us to become good readers of the Bible, hearers of the Bible, um, to understand who we are, where we fit, and what we're to do today. Uh, Lord, so uh, thank you uh, for uh, Tim's message today, for our fathers. influence that they've had in our lives. And Lord, for those of us who are fathers, uh, strengthen us, give us uh, wisdom to, uh, to represent you. Uh, again, we thank you for today in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your question, uh, Gloria. Appreciate that. And, uh,